steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. Unbelievable podcast. I am BJ Ardell, back here with my guy Drew Mahold, and today we are recapping the 2020 NFL Draft from a Minnesota Vikings perspective, just like you thought we were going to be, because that's what everyone else is doing in the world right now. So, Drew and I are going to spend the next 45 minutes or so uh, going through each of the 15 picks of the Vikings. We'll spend obviously a little bit more time on the bigger names up at the top of the board. And uh, we'll give you some analysis from what we know, talk about where these players are going to fit within the Vikings' current roster, how that's going to change, and I think that we'll end up bleeding into talking about the division rivals as well and the uh, drafts that the other teams in the NFC North put together um, just because uh, that should be fun. I'm excited to do that. So (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that is the general outline as usual. We have no idea where this is going to go, but that's the plan for today. So without further ado, let's go through this draft. Um, Historic draft, by the way, by Rick Spielman. First time since I think they said 1974 when the draft changed to seven rounds that 15 players have been selected by one organization. So there's a little fun fact for you and trivia trivia night a couple of years from now. Uh, overall, I mean, this is a pretty it's a pretty extensive draft. Obviously, when you take 15 players, you're going to get a lot of different positions. You're going to get uh, you're going to fill out a lot of different needs on paper. Uh, but there's also some quality here and some good timing as well. So just to run through real quick, starting from the top, this is I'm going to try to do this in one breath. Vikings started with Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU, cornerback Jeff Gladney from TCU, offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, cornerback Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State, defensive end DJ Wanham, South Carolina, defensive tackle James Lynch, Baylor, linebacker Troy Dye, Oregon, cornerback Harrison Hand, Temple, okay, (laughs) wide receiver KJ Osborne, (laughs) Miami, offensive tackle Blake Brandle, Oregon State safety, Josh Metellus, Michigan. Defensive end, Kenny Willekes from Michigan State. Quarterback, Nate Stanley, Iowa. Safety, Brian Cole, Mississippi State. Offensive lineman, Kyle Hinton, Washburn. Okay, there's two breaths for 15 players right there, and that's what the Vikings did over the weekend if you were not paying attention. So let's start off here with uh, the first two picks here in the first round. Obviously, uh, Mr. Spielman had a night for the ages um, on Thursday the first selection being Justin Jefferson out of LSU. Tell me about the wide receiver. Well, yeah. So I think, uh, first of all, the first round was very entertaining, especially after the first half or so. Cause like for sure there wasn't any trades in the first, I think 12 picks. Then you got, I think you had the bucks move up a spot for a tackle. And, uh, then, so the wild part for this pick in particular was that the Eagles were on the clock and then they showed Justin Jefferson on the phone. Yeah. Right. You know, celebrating and, and the family was celebrating with him. And we kind of thought, you know, oh, great. He's going to be an eagle. And they're going to Vikings are going to get sniped right in front of him. Again, Jefferson's by the go. way. Uh, turns out they picked Jalen Rieger, t- TCU, uh, who go who will go a little bit higher than maybe uh, many would expect. 
and then Jefferson falls to the Vikings and they snatch him up faster than, you know, I think it was <laughs> faster than um, any team made a pick or what it sounds like. So um, I, you know, I love the pick. I, I've said all along receiver is the biggest weakness in this roster right now, or at least was prior to the draft, um, you know, fulfilling that or filling that need that Diggs has left. Um, obviously, Jefferson's not going to do it by himself. Right. Uh, you're not going to reach Stefan Diggs' uh, performance level, uh, maybe ever, but certainly not right away. Uh, so, you know, we need you need another weapon out there, someone that can separate on the outside or in the slot uh, like he can. Um, and you know, he was when he came, when he we can, he's got a quarterback that can throw him the ball like Joe Burrow in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can light it up. So, uh, great pick. And I think it sounds like he was pretty high on their board anyway. Um, and the fact that he fell was just even better. They didn't have to trade up for him. So um, I, I'm all for that pick. Absolutely. It sounded like uh, it sounded like the Vikings certainly ran to, put, you know, I guess not ran to, uh, tr- upped their internet speed to, su- to submit that draft selection. I don't know. They, they submitted that draft selection very quickly with Justin Jefferson because um, it was widely known, uh, there was no smokescreen, shockingly enough, that the Vikings wanted Justin Jefferson. Um, they thought that he fits the scheme well. I certainly agree. The traits that he displayed at LSU, while I will go back to what Drew just said, playing with Joe Burrow probably inflated the, you know, the statistical numbers. You know, mm-hmm. when you're playing with the best quarterback in the country, a guy that was pro ready, you know, at least by the back end of last season, you know, it's going, it's you're going to get some numbers that are a little bit kind of ridiculous. You know, 111 receptions, 1540 for yards and 18 touchdowns for Justin Jefferson next last year. I mean, that's that's crazy numbers even from you know an SEC college standpoint. So, um. You're getting a hell of a player, and you're get, and this is something we talked about when we were doing our mock drafts uh, simulations as well. You're getting a very refined player as well. Um, very talented route runner, can run a full route tree. The biggest question mark, and I think I, I've seen this from a couple of places, but this is something that not just myself, my, my one of my buddy who was a former cornerback, um, he pointed out as well. The thing that I'm worried about most with Justin Jefferson is his separating ability. Uh, can he get off press coverage? Because that's the press coverage thing, yeah. That's he was inconsistent with that in college, and he was able to get away with it because of the way defensive backs had to cover LSU's offense, because they could spread it out and go wide with you know uh, Jamar Chase as well and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the back in the uh, in the backfield. So he enters a similar situation where he's going to have Adam Thielen taking coverage off him. He's going to get the number two cornerback right off the bat if he is you know in the starting lineup week one. We know how Mike Zimmer is with starting his rookie wide receivers for some reason. Um, but this looks like a player who's an immediate impact. I like him a lot. I mean, he straight up, like, I, I know this isn't helpful analysis, but he looks cool as hell in purple and gold. So it's, <laughs> and he's wearing 18. That's, you know, that's my, for, my favorite player, Sidney Rice's number. So I'm Randy very, Moss's rookie number preseason. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very excited about the selection. This was the selection that I called. I thought this was the most fitting selection for the Vikings. Um, I will admit that when I started to see Jerry Judy and CD Lamb slide down the board a little bit, oh, part yeah. I of wanted me was, to trade up too. I wanted, I wanted to, trade to trade up, up. right? But to stay at twenty-two and to take this player and add him to your offense after Stephon Diggs leaves was about as perfect of kind of like the best possible thing you could do for this team's future. I think. Yeah. Well, and then you get to the next pick, and right. so I know you for sure kind of said your best case scenario was Jefferson and Jeff Gladney right. in the first round. Vikings get to 25 and they trade down. 
even better Gladney. than my best case scenario. Right, honestly. which is even better. That's what I was going to get to is that there, you know, you had Gladney and Jalen Johnson and a few other corners on the board. Um, first of all, shocking that AJ Terrell went off the board at 16, and mm-hmm. then Damon or uh, yeah Arnett went off at 19, which was right. wild, leaving Gladney and, and Jalen Johnson some of these other guys on the board, and. Rick's able to wheel a fourth round pick, I believe, out of San Francisco to move down six spots and still get the guy he wanted, uh, who, you know, since the draft and even leading up to the draft, so much talk about how he's a perfect Zimmer corner in terms of the feistiness, the toughness, the competitiveness. Um, still a little bit uh, smaller, but he has that attitude and that that drive. And it sounds like, you know, he was pushed really hard at TCU. So um, it's it seems like a really good fit and he's going to have to be pressed into action right away just based on the the depth uh the lack of depth at the position he absolutely he absolutely will be like this is if you're going to call your shot on which rookie is going to have the greatest impact positive or negative on this vikings team jeff gladney is your pick straight up there's like there there's no way he is not in the starting lineup week one unless he's hurt Straight up. Or he starts smoking weed or does something to piss Mike Zimmer off. They're, on sheer potential alone, on his ability, on his NFL readiness, um, on how well he fits into this scheme, all of those factors, he's a perfect selection for the Minnesota Vikings. The one gripe that I have is that he's a little bit small, and I think that they ended up just taking the guy who's going to be their slot corner for the foreseeable future in the first round. Which isn't a bad thing, it's just non-traditional. Right. If you think about the way that slot corners have been selected over the last 10, 15 years, these are generally guys who have been third, fourth, fifth round picks because they're somewhere between 5'8 and 5'11 as opposed to 6 feet and 6'2. It doesn't mean he's any less talented. It just means that in the past, the nickel corner spot has been kind of undervalued. And as we've seen the NFL transition into even more of a passing league, you know, going from being 60-40 to maybe 65-35 or 70-30 for some teams, you need to have that slot corner that can, you know, line up with Larry Fitzgerald, a guy who's six, you know, two or three or whatever Larry Fitzgerald is. I should know that. Um, you need to have you need to have that guy on your roster, and he's worthy of a first round selection. So he's NFL ready. He fits into a spot of need. And you got him at a value because you were able to trade down to get him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a perfect pick, right? Like you can't do much better than the that. The one thing I was um, that I the one reason I personally prefer Jalen Johnson after looking through everything was just simply age, right? Because Gladney I think is twenty three or twenty four already. Um, Jalen Johnson is like twenty one or will be twenty one during the season. So uh, that was the only thing that was you know it seems like the Vikings like to draft young um, and give those kind of get those guys developed and then scoot them into their prime sort of in that second contract. Um, so, uh, but again, sure. but again, Gladney is, I think he can, I mean, we, he can also work on the outside and did a bunch in college and he just has a skill set and the size maybe to work inside too, as a, as a jam slot guy, but, um, you know, famously shut down, uh, Denzel Mims completely. So, and Jamar uh, chase too, as well. And I Jamar chase. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty solid pick right there. Uh, that's a pretty solid combo to address the two biggest needs probably on the roster there. Um, you know, with Jefferson and, and Gladney, that, that's a pretty solid hit there for Spielman, it seems like. For sure. And just on the flip side of that, if you are trying to look for kind of a positive from the fact that he is a little bit older, the fact that he did play 
four full seasons in college, and he was also a redshirt freshman as well. This is more important for quarterbacks, I believe, but I think it also applies to cornerback, which is a position where as you become more experienced with tendencies, you tend to get better. You know, I remember one of the highlights they talked about with Jeff Gladney is that he's not a grabber. He's not a no. He doesn't get a lot of pass interference penalties. That's the product. That's the type of thing that's a product of experience. So yes, he's a little bit older, and that's certainly a knock, especially for the fact that you know he's going to be what twenty eight or twenty nine, twenty nine after his first contract. I mean that kind of sucks, but <laughs> straight up. But at the same time, you're getting a guy who knows what he's doing immediately, and assuming he can adapt to this playbook, which you know I have full confidence that he can. He's going to be a hell of a player right away. He's or at the very least he's going to be an impact player in a way that, you know, I'm trying to think of a fight like Josh Robinson was not. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's not super helpful, but like Josh Robinson was a relatively early round pick. He was inexperienced and he came in and he shit the bed. This is not what I expect from Jeff Gladney. He's a smarter player, more experienced, well-rounded skill set. If he was two inches taller, he's a top ten pick, I think. So. That's that's a situation that the Vikings did in the first round. I feel, you know, I you have to feel very very good about those two picks because you get value, you address needs, and you address needs with players who are ready to contribute immediately, which is what this team wants. So, mm-hmm. Vikings get out of the first round. Uh, if you're curious, I did look up some some draft grades here. Um, this is coming from CBS. CBS gave an A for the Justin Jefferson pick and Jeff Gladney a B. I personally think they're both A's. This is what the best that you could hope for when you're drafting at 22 and 25, and ultimately when you're drafting yeah, at 22 I mean, and 31. Yeah, I mean, good for you for giving them both an A for the picks that you suggested that they make anyway <laughs> in your dream scenario. Uh, shout that's, out to you for giving them an A. Uh, that's a fair point. Now, in the second round, this is where things, like, this is where, you know, people may disagree or agree or whatever, but I think one thing to keep in mind with Ezra Cleveland in the second round we don't know what the Vikings status was with Trent Williams during this time. Right. Because right. it set, it seemed like there was, you know, the possibility of it. And then there was the rumors that he, no, I didn't want to play for the Vikings. And then it sounded like he denied that. And, and I don't, we don't know how close that was to happening. If it was close, if it wasn't, if the Vikings thought they were going to get him and then suddenly didn't, I don't know. But in terms of the Cleveland pick, uh, I was personally, looking for Josh Jones out of Houston at the time. Uh, the fact that he fell to the third round actually uh, was a bit surprising to me, but it seems like they clearly have that sort of uh, template for a tackle. Right. right. They found Brian O'Neill uh, and they wanted to replicate that the best they could. And Ezra Cleveland seems to be that guy for the long haul, uh, you know, a little bit slimmer, maybe out of college like O'Neill was, but athletic and can move around. Uh, so will be a fit for that zone scheme if he can put on a few pounds uh, like O'Neal did and become that that stud. So uh, I, I, I'm i coming around to the pick for sure. It's not my ideal choice, but I'm not going to fault Spielman too much for looking at Brian O'Neal, seeing how he's progressed and saying, OK, I want that again on the other side of the line. This to me was probably the most mm, other than other than Justin Jefferson at 22. This is the most predictable pick that the Vikings made, I think. Because every report around oh, yeah. the NFL draft concerning the Vikings almost always seemed to lead but lead back to Ezra Cleveland. Yeah. And Well there was report I mean there was rumors he that'd be the first round pick. Right. Was Ezra Cleveland. At twenty five, right. Yeah. And it's uh you know, I would have been accepting of him at twenty five, but I am over the moon at what was it, fifty eight? Yeah, fifty eight. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, to kind of, I guess I, I like to start with objective numbers, and it's a little a little more difficult with offensive linemen. But Nick Olson um, tweeted today a comparison between Brian O'Neill, Garrett Bradbury, and Ezra Cleveland, and he used relative athlete scores, which is Kentley Platty's system, um, which is is he's been developing. By the way, I remember working with Kent. What was it? At the bar, the bar room. Was, yeah, was five like years ago. Five years ago. Okay, this is like his system includes so much information, and it compiles it down into a number one to ten. Okay, and that's how you get Raz, which is his his system, and it's it's very very cool. I highly recommend checking it out. But just to give you kind of the simple boilerplate analysis here, Brian O'Neill was a nine point six, Garrett Bradbury a nine point nine six. And Ezra Cleveland now a 9.93 in, in accordance with relative athleticism score. So there is a template there. And again, these numbers that he gets, that he, that he reaches ultimately, he comes to with all the combine stats. And like any, any time, <laughs> literally any time an athlete does something athletic on the field, it's put into this number. Okay, I, I'm not a math guy. You guys know that. I don't know how to explain <laughs> this statistically speaking. But ultimately, he's taking all this information and putting it down into one number, and all these guys seem to come out with about the exact same athleticism score. That tells me a couple of things. One, I've learned from Seattle, I believe, that they love Spark. And if you've heard of Spark before, it's a similar grading system that does athleticism and tries to gauge just a simple number out of a bunch of information the same way that Raz does, Okay. Seattle has been picking offensive linemen that fit spark scores for six or seven years. And I think it was, uh, seems like it's working out for him. It is. It does. Yeah. They <laughs> seem to figure it out. Okay. And they, I can't remember who it was on Twitter. Um, but it was one of these Seattle guys. It's, I think it's the dude that works for the ringer. Now I can't think of his, I'm sorry. I can't think the of Ben Baldwin. No. I, no, it's not him. I can't, I can't think of his name. I'll say it at some point. But anyways, he was literally predicting who, which offensive lineman Seattle was going to take in like rounds four through seven for like two years in a row just based off of spark scores. Okay? And so I'm seeing a similar trend now with the Vikings, and I, apparently Nick is as well because he puts this information up, and you look at it, and these three guys, these three offensive linemen, arguably, you know, Brian O'Neill is the most successful offensive lineman the Vikings have drafted in how, since Matt Khalil, and Matt Khalil had one year of success, mm-hmm. like Brian O'Neill. If you want to call it successful, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, they found their template, like you said. They found the type of player that they're looking for, and they went out and got him, which I can respect, and all reports suggested this was going to happen. I think he's going to end up being a backup offensive tackle this year. I don't see them sliding Riley Reef into guard and starting Ezra Cleveland at tackle this year. I just... I can't wrap my mind around that move after what happened with Mike Remmers. But if it does happen that way, I think the Vikings are in fairly safe hands because I do think this is a high potential player. And the type of athleticism that he has, when you're when you're running plays that require your offensive tackle to move out in front and get out in front of your Based running back. Zone runs. Zone runs, like you know the entire scheme that the Vikings run, pretty much. You need to have a player of this caliber in terms of athleticism on your outside. So I love the Ezra Cleveland pick. I think it fits the system. I think it's great value. Again, first three picks for the Vikings to me, absolutely flawless. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right about the fact that he's probably going to sit at least to start uh, t- 2020 now. Injuries will probably get him vault him into action as it happened with uh, 
with Brian O'Neill in 2018. I'm sure we'll see him. Uh, but I, I'm not with these people on moving either Cleveland himself or Reef into guard. I think they're really going to stick with Alfine there and go Bradbury center. And then at right guard, maybe have uh, Drew Samia. I think that's who it's going to be, too. Potentially. Yeah. Um, but I think the offensive line definitely got better by drafting Ezra Cleveland. And for the long haul, there's the potential for sort of your bookends to be set there. Uh, assuming that you know, this bridge will have to be crossed at some point, the extension for Brian O'Neill uh, happens uh, probably a year from now or so right. to get him locked in long term. But yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not giving it an A plus, but uh, because I, again, I would have liked Josh Jones there. But Cleveland, I understand it. There was interest there. There was rumors about him being a first round pick. They got him late second. I like that for sure. And he gets an A minus from CBS if you care about that. So there's eh, that. I care a little bit about that. Yeah, I suppose. It's not bad. Um, <clears throat> moving forward here, this is kind of where it starts to get a little bit interesting. Now, this next player, Cameron Dancer from Mississippi State, I don't dislike the player. I don't dislike the fit. I don't. Ha- I really don't have a problem with any of it, other than the fact that he's just – he's not a supreme prospect. He's more of a very good fit, and if he fills out, this could be a hell of a player yeah. for the Vikings. It's like – there's like a, a little bit of Trey Wayne's where like he's thin. Right. But then he, I think he's got like the physicality, like he plays aggressive sort of like Rhodes a little bit early in his career. So it's like kind of a little bit of both of them to me, the lanky long frame. That's, this is more of the size type that Zimmer right. would like. Right. Um, and so, and I saw the stat today that he um, locked down throws from Joe Burrow in 2019. Now it's a small sample size, right? Uh, because that's just one game uh, against LSU. But the passer rating was like 70, and he allowed like 13 yards or something like that. So um, that's, uh, you know, it's the Vikings need cornerbacks, and they took three in the draft for a reason because Mike Sandler loves developing his corners. Um, You know, you had Mike Hughes, Holton Hill. uh, That's about it (laughs) at the cornerback position heading into the draft. So you got a couple guys that are going to have to contribute right away. I think Dantzler has... At least some of the, the the traits to contribute right away. Uh, we'll see if it translates and if the frame is too much, if his frame is too thin, rather to keep up with some of the bigger bodied receivers in the NFL. But um, that'll definitely be something to watch moving forward. So Cameron Dantzler, I think that he's going to see some play this season. Like he's there's there's going to be opportunities for him because they're they're <laughs> the Vikings don't have much else, you know. Um, I mean, we all know that Holton Hill is going to find his way to get himself in trouble again, and someone's probably going to get hurt. So Cameron Dantzler is probably going to get forced into action at some point or another. My problem with this pick, the reason why it's not an A for me and why it's more of a B, is because I don't trust him to step in immediately simply because this is a guy who needs to literally add 20 pounds. Okay? And 20 pounds of muscle at that. Right? He's going to get pushed around by wide receivers who are bigger than him. I'm just imagining AJ Green trying to him trying to cover AJ Green in the league, because and the reason why I'm thinking AJ Green is because he beat the shit out of Jalen Ramsey. So I just can't I can't see him doing well as a rookie. I think this is a great project pick. I think this is a guy that, like you said, fits the Zimmer mold to a T. So we can keep that narrative going into next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he is what six two. Lean, extreme, like ridiculously long arms, tentacles is probably a better term. Uh, and he's physical. He he fights, and of course he tackles because Mike Zimmer doesn't draft any cornerback who doesn't tackle. 
Okay, so that's what you're getting out of this player. And when you're drafting him at 89th overall, that's a good pick, right? That's about where the Vikings selected Daniil Hunter, a high upside player that's got all the measurables. I know this is di- I'm comparing apples and oranges in terms of positions, but when you're ter- talking about the value and the potential, this is a good play for the Vikings. It's going to give them a player that's probably going to be a somewhat of a factor this year, but just not an impact guy. I see him more as a guy who comes in for five, ten snaps every once in a while because mm-hmm. someone got hurt, someone got caught smoking, or someone sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, and my goal going in, or my goal, I'm not, I'm not I'm part of the team, so I don't have my goals don't matter. <laughs> my wish was that the Vikings get four guys that can contribute right away to the needs that you right. know we're all over the roster, uh, and clearly the biggest ones receiver, corner, offensive line. Um, I think for sure three of them, I think both corners in terms, I mean, you got Gladney, you have Dantzler, those guys are going to contribute right away just because of the need for it. Um, I think Justin Jefferson's going to be your immediate wide receiver too, as long as Zimmer plays him. Uh, and then at, at offensive line, at the very least, the very, very least, you have a solid depth and a great backup tackle option. Um, if who there's some be, sort of injury. might be better than your starter. You might be, yes. Right. And if he's not, if you put 50 more pounds on him, and he probably is. Uh, <laughs> right. So, I mean, and, and the way the NFL draft is, like, for me personally, I didn't pay a ton of attention to the end of the draft just because, like, it was too many sixth and seventh round picks to keep track of. Like, I know he ended up with 15 picks. I just, I don't know a lot about these guys. But based on the first four picks, and that's a lot of what my grade is going to be, what, a lot, what I'm going to remember about this draft and how Spielman did, um, he addressed the needs. He got the best players that I think, you know, were available at the time and they're all great values. Uh, Jefferson probably fell a little bit farther than he should have. Uh, Gladney got him six picks lower than the Vikings could have grabbed him and also got an extra pick out of it. Ezra Cleveland was potential first round pick, got him late second. Dantzler, another guy, early third prospect, potentially late third round pick. Vikings got him there. So I am very satisfied with those first four picks, uh, the first three rounds essentially of the draft. Um, I think, you know, and Spielman, again, we can talk all day about <laughs> the addiction to trading down. And, you know, I, I think people were upset about oh, why did he trade up all these picks? He never traded up. He never went and got his guy. But, A, if, if his guy, in quotes, never fell to a certain spot, then why would he? Right. Um, but then, B, he's already got 12 picks for next year. Uh, between the likely comp picks, I think they're going to get three, maybe a third rounder for Waynes, and then um, later ones in the draft. But then they got two more. They traded, I think, a sixth this year for a fifth next year. No, they, they traded a fifth in 2020 to the Bears for a fourth next year from the Bears. And then they did the same thing with the Ravens where they traded a seventh. They traded two sevenths and got a seventh this year and a fifth in 2021. So he's just piling on the value there with, you know, when you have 20,000 picks, trading one for to get future value is not the worst idea. And it's definitely the right move so long as you have job security. And it seems like well, it sounds like he does. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's you don't trade down, 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 down if you're going if you're going to be done, you know, in four months or five. uh, I guess it'd be at the end of the year. So uh, he's I think it's safe to assume Rick Spielman would be the general manager past 2020. I would agree. All right, let's move forward here into this kind of so to me this is like kind of a whole separate 
part of the draft, right? The first four picks are your money picks, I think is what Jordan Reed calls them, right? You know, the players where, like you said, you're trying to get an impact player, you're trying to get significant value, and you're trying to get production immediately, okay? That's kind of what you're getting with Jefferson, Gladney, Cleveland, and Dantzler. Now, the next group here, to me, is the three fourth-round picks and the first fifth-round pick. And these are your high-potential, fit your kind of your template uh, guys that might see some play this year uh, have the potential to become starters as the year progresses, but not necessarily high-impact, immediate-value players. And I think the Vikings did well with this as well. So the first one here is defensive end DJ Wanham from South Carolina. And this one, of this next four, honestly, is my least favorite. Really? So I think you know people made the comparison to Daniel Hunter. Uh, and I hate that. Made. I don't see and- it. Well, it's. I see Scott Crichton. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that that. I saw that you said that on Twitter, and and it's it's fine. I just think that um, there are a little bit more athletic uh, traits there than maybe Crichton would have than he showed. But you know, it's the Vikings are trying to find that um, that rotational guy that becomes the starter, right? We've talked about that before. We're like it was, you know. Brian Robinson was the rotational guy for a long time behind Ray Edwards and Jared Allen. And then Robinson took the starting role. And then, you know, moving, it was Everson Griffin who was that rotational guy. And then Neil Hunter was the rotational guy. And then, you know, it's been on and on and on. It's a cycle. And then that guy eventually becomes a, a solid starter for a long time. Um, I think they're trying, they're thinking this is going to be the guy. I, I, they tried this with Crichton. You're right. And that didn't work uh, to your, to, to your point. So I don't know. Uh, I think it could work out. I think it's at the very least uh, some depth at the position that is needed because pass rushers are not uh, – there's not a ton of them on the roster right now with the Fadi <laughs> being true. Yeah. the starter now and no more with Stephen Weatherly. Now I will say one thing that people made a huge deal of today was that jersey numbers were announced uh, for all the rookies, which is like a 1,000 of them, and number 97 was not right. Right. presented to anybody. Everson Griffin – Still not signed with the team. That door might be open, uh, just a little bit. But again, this is this is about DJ Wanham and the fact that I know very little about him, and I'm still staring on about him trying to sound like an expert. <laughs> let's uh, let's go through some objective numbers here. We'll talk uh, since this is a potential play. Let's go percentiles. Uh, this is coming straight from Mock Draftable. Uh, so Wanham is going to fit into – he's got a nice-looking spider chart. I know that this is, this is great for audio, but – so he's in the 84th percentile for height, but he's also in the 13th percentile for weight. So take what you want from that. To me, that's kind of a wash, right? He's got to add some weight. There's nothing you can – I mean, the height is good, but he's got, he's, got to add some, he's got to add some weight. The big thing, and I think the reason why people keep comparing him to Daniil Hunter is the arm size. Or the arm length, excuse me. 76th percentile for that. Hand size is 88th percentile. 48-yard dash is 86th percentile. Vertical jump and broad jump are 81 and 93 percentile, respectively. That is a measure of your explosion off the line, generally speaking. So he scores very high in all of those numbers, which leads you to believe that with a little bit of coaching, and I know that all of us trust the defensive line coach and Mike Zimmer and, you know, we believe in Patterson to get this guy kind of to the next level. But I don't think he's a starter. I think he's a nice piece, and I think he's going to play next year. So those in the, you know, what was this? In the This was the fourth round, top of the fourth round, basically. 
you like that pick. It's a good selection. I just wish it was a different defensive end because this isn't the one that I liked. I like the Alabama kid. I like the LSU kid that we picked, what, three different times in our mock drafts. Uh, this just wasn't my personal pick. And really, again, like you like you said before, my opinion doesn't mean anything. It, what I want, my goals for this organization mean nothing. But from what I see from this kid, and I have watched so much less film of him than everyone in the Vikings organization that I shouldn't even be allowed to be able to talk about him. <laughs> but I just don't see the high potential like I saw. with Like, Daniil Hunter, to me, despite the low sack totals, he popped, right? You could see the finesse. You could see the agility. You could see the traits. And we all said that. We just said, like, if this guy could be refined, he could be a really good player. We didn't think he could be that good, as good as he is now. But we saw, like, okay, this guy has potential. Just give him some refinement, and he's going to be a great player. I don't see that with Juan. I just don't. I'm sorry. There's probably another podcast out there that does. Listen to that one on DJ Juan. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Next pick here is James Lynch from Baylor. Uh, and for the record, Wanham got a C- from CBS, if you're keeping score. Uh, James Lynch also got a C- from CBS. I'm not a fan of that grade. I think this is a good pick. Uh, you get a big defensive tackle, a three technique specifically. You really need one. You need someone to push Jaleel Johnson heading into this year. I think you get that with your fourth-run pick here. Yeah, you do. You do. And I now I, I was seeing some stuff on Twitter, and they were saying he's got this attitude about him the feist, like the aggressiveness and the, the, the nastiness of J.J. Watt, which is like, I think what that was is like, a, here's, here's a white in, interior defensive lineman. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to compare right. him to the first white right. interior defensive lineman I can think of. But uh, James Lynch, uh, it's exactly what it, – it's just filling a positional need, filling, filling the scheme fit uh, more than anything, and kind of the top guy at that spot in the draft that does that for you. And I think James Lynch was that. Gives competition where it's needed. I still think that spot on the roster is a big problem right now, three tech. So uh, hopefully he or Jaleel Johnson or somebody there can kind of step up. Armin Watts can step up and um, sort of solidify that spot for themselves and be a good performer. So to go back to mock draftable here, again, trying to provide something objective. Um, this, it's not good. It doesn't look good for, <laughs> for James Lynch. Um he, he does not have a good spider chart. So if you place any value in his athleticism relative to his peers, James Lynch is not the pick for you. But I do think that those personality traits that you just mentioned, uh, the production at Baylor, uh, this kind of the ability to move from three to five uh, and probably to one as well, honestly, in some situations, uh, that, that type of interior versatility is something the Vikings desperately need right now. You get that with this pick. Again, it's a solid pick. It's not a home run. It's not a steal. He didn't fall. I mean, there's people who don't even know who this guy is, but he fills your need. <laughs> he fills your need. He gives you, an, he gives you somewhat of a solution to the problem that you have, and he's going he's gonna to come in and compete. You don't have to worry about his personality. That's a quality fourth-round pick. So, to me, another positive grade. Not a great pick, but fine. It, it works, okay? The next one here is where it starts to get fun again to me. The linebacker, Troy Dye from Oregon, okay? Uh, this ha- has the potential to be one of my favorite picks in the entire draft. And going into this situation, I didn't know who Troy Dye was, but I spent some time watching video on him, and he was the one guy in this draft who I actually, like, you know, I, I sat down and I continued to watch. I needed to see more and more because there's so many different things about this player that if he can answer little question marks, 
regarding athleticism and where he played in, in terms of his defense and the scheme that he played in and how he transitions to the NFL. This guy has so many great intangible skills in terms of knowing where to be on the field, being a leader, understanding his gap assignments, uh, just being in the right place at the right time, solid coverage skills, all of these little factors. I mean, I'm, I'm saying all of these things, and don't you hear Eric Kendricks? Like, that's the type of style of play that the Vikings are looking for from their weak side linebacker and, honestly, their middle linebacker as well. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's it's weird that you, I think you compare him to, you know, compare in the sense that he's got the play style of Kendricks where he's got um, – he's has a little bit of that coverage stuff. He's got the, the range and speed right across the field, but um, he did a lot of pass rushing as well mm-hmm. at Oregon, which – in a way is similar to the way Anthony Barr came out uh, as a rookie in 2014, where he was doing a lot of pass rushing and then the Vikings drafted him to be a four, three outside linebacker. And um, Barr has not done a ton of pass rushing in the NFL. And that's probably the situation Troy die find himself in now. And so it's going to be a lot of that coverage stuff that you mentioned. And that's going to be the transition for him is less pass rushing, more of the, um, you know, Kendricks and Barr do for the Vikings. So, uh, I, I do like it though. Very athletic, uh, like you said, the uh, the leadership there um, has sort of been the rock of the Oregon defense. So uh, I, I like that. I like that a lot, and I think it's a solid add. And, and again, you know that week that that linebacker spot next to Barron Kendricks is absolutely wide open right now. Uh, whether it's Wilson or Gideon or whoever else, he could uh, start. That's a spot. That's a spot that he could take for himself this year. I, I, I'm not going to be surprised by it. In fact, if I was doing a depth chart right now, I would put him above Gideon. And granted, Gideon's not on the field for more than, what, 40% of the snaps about? Don't well, that's, that's whoever wins the spot, is right. their linebacker spot. is That's going to be the case for that person. But. So the, one of the things that I do like about Die here, and I think it's worth exploring as we get closer to the season in terms of like once we see how he meshes with this team and how pro-ready he is, is this could give you some versatility with the way you play Anthony Barr. You just mentioned the fact that Barr hasn't been used as much of a pass rusher. He's paid as a pass rusher, folks. We thought it was coming last year. We thought he was going to start, you know, put his hand into the dirt and come off the edge. But with Everson Griffin gone now and Afadi Odenigbo said it, I just said that name so well, by the way, set to start. I mean, Anthony Barr makes, it makes sense to have him, you know, take snaps from that, probably would be the right defensive end position just because, you know, why would you move to Neil Hunter from the left spot, I guess? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I like the fit because I think that Die can slide in and play linebacker at a high level. And I'm talking like pure 2005 linebacker, you know, like where you're covering running backs out of the backfield, you're hitting the hole hard, you're racking up tackles at a very high rate, like straight up Brandon Spikes linebacker can't do anything else. Like he can do that super well. Stay at home linebacker. He can be that guy for the Vikings, okay? And that gives the opportunity for Anthony Barr to expand his game. And I think that that is a that's like that honestly is worth more to the Vikings than die himself because Anthony Barr has limitless potential that really hasn't even been explored. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. And Mike Zimmer is a great defensive guru. He puts so many guys in great positions. But Anthony Barr is a guy who has kind of gotten a raw deal because they put him in a position where the Vikings need him to be. They don't have an answer some, like with someone else. You can't put Ben Gideon where Anthony Barr is. You can put Troy Dye there. 
That's why I think this pick is so valuable, and that's why I like it so much. In I like that perspective. Round. I didn't even think of that, but you know, maybe the fact that the Vikings do have a lack of pass rushers now at defensive end could push Barr into that role. I never even considered that, but it's a good. I mean, it's a good point. They've teased the idea before. You know, a lot of it, like in preseason, you'd see right. it in a game. You're like, oh my god, here's the year. The only Anthony Barr, they're gonna throw him off the edge and rush him uh, to the passer all the time, but it hasn't quite happened yet. Maybe this is. Maybe this lack of pass rushing depth plus the addition of Troy Dye, maybe that'll be what puts him over the top. So Dye, by the way, just so you don't have to look it up yourself, racked up over 100 tackles twice at Oregon, over 10 tackles for loss twice at Oregon, and he had a sack every single year and an interception every single year. So the versatility actually shows up in his stats somehow. So... He gets a, he gets an A from CBS. He definitely gets an A from me in this draft position. I've also read from people a lot smarter than me that he fell a lot in this draft, and he could have easily been a second or third round selection as well. So, take that for what it's worth. Take those opinions for you know with a grain of salt, I suppose. But I think this is a great addition, and that moves us on to our next player here. That's Harrison Hand out of Temple. Again, mm-hmm. a guy I don't know very much about. This is a guy, I have, honest, honest to God, I have to defer to you know the quote expert analysis on this player. Um, but I think this is another good fit. I think this is another good value based off of what I have read another, about this player. Another good tackler, which shocking that Mike Zimmer would right. select a, a good tackler at cornerback. But um, you know he's what is he five eleven, two hundred pounds, so he's got you know a thicker frame uh, than you know someone like Cameron Dantzler, who's like one hundred and twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but you know. Is is it's going to be competition for someone like Chris Boyd, right? For sure. Um, in in camp, so I think right now this is sort of a depth spot there, and hopefully can develop into something more than that. But uh, Harrison Hand, it looks like you know he will be physical at the line as well. Um, I think there's a lot of technical issues outside of that that could probably be improved. But um, good tackler, physical, um, competitive, and good run support all seem to check those boxes so um yeah a lot of work for zimmer to do there probably but again you know he and chris boyd probably will be competing for the fifth spot i suppose on that cornerback depth chart if if you put holton hill above them i think that's probably a fair kind of assessment uh, given that we don't know a whole lot about this player and unfortunately he's going to get the COVID off season so yeah. he's not even going to really have the opportunity to compete a whole lot. He's going to have to kind of go off of his pedigree. Which, by the way, if there is a knock on this draft, this is the wrong year to select 15 players. Just by the way. I know that this is the Vikings podcast and I'm supposed to, you know, shove sunshines and daisies up your ass. But in this situation, like 15 picks, I, I just don't know if I agree with... I didn't think about I never thought of that either. But I just, it just came into my head they now. They don't get an offseason to... You know, right? It, learn more about. They, have they met these? Like, so many of these guys they haven't even met in person before, and they won't be able to. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's kind of not great. But let, let's try to focus on the positive here, okay? So Harrison Hand, kind of going off of my knowledge of what general managers try to do, right? Okay, so in generally speaking, when you draft a player, you want to draft a player who has one or two tools and then has a third tool that you can develop, right? I think we've heard that before. I think it was, honestly, that was probably in draft day. So your dad probably knows that as well. So that's not insider knowledge by any means. But when you look at, when you look at kind of the way that this guy's athleticism scores stack up against his, you know, peers, I suppose, 
there's nothing you can do about his height. He's going to be 5'11". That's just who he is, okay? He's 200 pounds. He can add a little bit of muscle there. That might change a little bit. The things that really, really stand out here are his broad jump and his vertical jump. So explosion scores, okay? 133-inch broad jump, that's 96th percentile. 41-inch vertical jump, that's 95th percentile. So this kid, who's co- literally coming out of nowhere, by the way, coming from Temple, has very, very strong traits in areas that you need to have in terms of in terms of being a cornerback. You want to know that your guy can turn around and just blow by dudes. He's got that explosion off, you know, kind of his step uh, – his plant foot, I suppose, right? He also has the ability to jump up and make the fact that he's 5'11", he can erase that from the sheet because he can jump 41 inches. So, you mm. know, if he's covering someone who's six foot three, chances are very, very good that he can make up those four inches with his vertical jump. So you look at those couple things, you look at the, kind of the ability, the fact that he's played a lot of football, uh, there's room for there's room for him to improve is basically the point that I'm ramping up to. And again, we're in the fourth round at this point. We're in the fifth round at this point. You don't need to get a guy who's going to start. You want to have a guy that has potential, and I think Harrison Hand has that. So, uh, got to. Uh, this is taking a lot longer than I thought I was going to to get through all these picks. Um, all right. So moving on in the fifth round here. This is the kind of the fifth. The, the K.J. Osborne pick moving all the way to the bottom in the Kyle Hinton pick. This is kind of your third phase of the draft, right? Uh, when we were doing our picks with our simulation, we talked a lot about getting guys who are special teams players, high leadership, uh, character players, guys who fit well with sort of that mold that the Vikings like to bring in. And there's this is a bit of a mixed bag here. Let's start with K.J. Osborne out of Miami. I think it's pretty clear that he's not being drafted to play wide receiver, that this is kind of a Marcus Sherrill's fill. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Putt returner, uh, and the fact that you know, Mike Hughes has been that guy, but you would anticipate that his role will increase at cornerback, so the they ACL get this guy play. Osborne. Uh, he, I mean, he's a, he is a receiver. He played slot at Miami and at Buffalo as a slot guy, and has some yard after catchability, but I think he was like 50 something, the number 50 something receiver on McShay's big board. Like, uh, you know, in terms of just as a receiver, probably not worth drafting, uh, if we're being honest, but if he turns into a decent part returner, um, you know, then that's probably worth a, a late flyer on, I suppose. So, um, you know, not a name that a lot of people even considered or looked at. Uh, so you're kind of taking a shot here at, or on his punt return abilities for the Vikings. And I guess we'll see how it pans out, but they do need to address that position. Now that Mike Hughes won't be that guy just because he'll be playing corner all the time. There isn't, I honestly, this is one of my least favorite picks in the entire class just because, I mean, you guys have heard this, heard me say this before about kickers. If I don't believe in drafting kickers, I definitely don't believe in drafting punt returners. And I definitely, at least it's a punt returner and not a kick returner because kick returns are like being eliminated from the game. So, I suppose. Okay, so positives, right? Uh, his <laughs> the, his athleticism traits, his spider chart matches up at an 87% clip with Golden Tate. How about that? That's positive, right? If he turned into Golden Tate, that seems like a win to me. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, honestly, I don't like this pick. I, I, I see a lot of Stacey Coley again, and I know it's partially because he's from, uh, you know a special teams guy from Miami, <laughs> but I'm seeing Stacey Coley all over again, and we already we already know how that story ended, so... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of this pick. It's got a C-plus from CBS. It gets probably less than that for me, honestly. Uh, 
Uh, the next one here is Blake Brandle from Oregon State. I don't know. I know very, very little about this guy. Straight up. This guy came out of nowhere to me. Oregon State is not in my kind of my peripherals in terms of college football watching. Uh, I don't know. I don't Six, think I. 6'7, 308, has played both left and right tackle. Vikings getting their, their versatile lineman that can play at any position. That's basically what this is. That's, and honestly, yeah, that's kind of what I see as well. I don't have anything more fun to add, and I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass either. I think I've, I, this is, I've probably sworn more in this episode than I have in the last, like, 15. Um, moving on here, I'm just going to keep going because we're running out of time, and I don't have anything fun to add about Brandel. So Josh Metellus <laughs> from Michigan. This is a player who I actually know who he is. I watched him play at Michigan. I know what the Vikings are getting here, and it's an unathletic safety that's probably not going to make the team. He looks really, really cool doing it, though. He's got phenomenal hair. Uh, and he's a, so, team, he's a team leader. He's I, I, straight up. I, I know that Jordan Jordan Reed doesn't like him either. Uh, that definitely plays into my opinion for sure. Uh, but to me, this is this is not a good. This is not a great pick. But it's going to give you a special teams player, which again, yeah, I mean, that's what we as like long to as as long as Harris and Smith are still at safety, they're still uh, starting and they stay relatively healthy. That's a lot of ifs. I mean, and I'm knocking on wood right now, but. Um, safety won't be a position that's needed, and you know, at the at the very most, this can just be a depth uh, draft pick. But I, I that'll be something I'll watch is whether this guy can make the team because it's not unheard of for fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, seventh round picks, obviously, to just not make the roster, especially when you have like a thousand of them. I think the kind of the same analysis that we just gave to uh, Mr. Metellus here sort of also applies to defensive end Kenny Willekes from Michigan State. Uh, this is another guy, defensive end. This is a depth add for the Vikings at a position where they straight up, they just don't have that many defensive ends right now, just like they don't have that many safeties. You can apply the exact same practice here. Uh, he's 6'3", 264, 31 and a fourth inch arms, nine and a half inch hands. He's not blowing anyone away with his, you know, his combine numbers. Um, he's not really blowing anyone away with really anything, to be honest. I will say the production in terms of just like a cumulative number of sacks, tackles for loss, all of that stuff, he was pretty darn good at uh, and putting up those type of numbers while at Michigan State. Now, you can say what you want about cumulative numbers and, and the fact that he's playing in the Big Ten and, and all that is different, but um, I think the production would suggest that he's a much higher value than seventh round pick so from that perspective i like it again the athleticism like you're saying not not awesome but you know this is the the type of this is at the very least you're going to get a guy i think that will be sort of a grinder on special teams uh if you need him to be uh so i think the vikings are, are doing themselves a service in that aspect and then if he can come around and play you know contribute as a pass rusher then so be it so to me to me, he is – he's interesting because he used to be a linebacker. So that's kind of fun, right? You get a little bit of versatility there. But my problem, my overarching issue with this is I think he's more of a 3-4 defensive end. So based off of his size and his strengths, I don't know how well his game translates to going one-on-one off the edge as a pure pass rusher from the defensive end spot. His numbers suggest that he's great at setting the edge. 
the tackle for loss numbers that you just brought up are, frankly, they're, they're outstanding over the last mm-hmm. three years. 15 and a half, 20 and a half, 13 over right. the last three years. Yeah. That's, it, that's outstanding. The production and, that, and those numbers, and he's got some good sack numbers too, I think 10 or 10 and a half last year, right. something like that. Um, and a bunch of tackles for a lot. Like that's, those are superb, right? Right. Uh, it's just that, you know, I think in the Big Ten, you can get away with not being as athletic. Maybe, you know, if you that's compare, like if you put him in the SEC, those numbers aren't going to be the same, right? And then especially in the NFL, obviously it's going to be a completely different game. So that's the concern I think for him, but I think he's got the that, that grinder mentality. He's come back from a broken leg before. Um, he's got that on his side, so... Um, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to one to watch because I think he can be a special teams ace, um, kind of like you know. Remember Heath Farwell back in the day? Oh yeah. Like, of I course. think he can kind of be that type of guy. And I'd be fine uh, with that in the seventh round. I would love that in the seventh round. Be yeah, great exactly. Uh, just for your reference, the last three guys I don't believe I mentioned their grades. CBS gave a D plus to Brandle, a C to Metellus, and they actually gave an A minus to uh, Mr. Willickus here. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't even know. Like this sounds right. I'll figure it out if he makes the roster. How about that? <clears throat> uh, last three picks here. Nate Stanley of Iowa, <laughs> the quarterback, 244th overall. Straight up, don't have a problem with drafting a quarterback because I like the idea of anyone pushing Sean Mannion, but I'll take Jake Browning over Nate Stanley any day of the week. Straight up. I don't think this guy makes the roster. I think this is kind of like uh, – I just don't see this one going anywhere. He's undersized. He's not – doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't make great decisions. He's an Iowa quarterback, for God's sake. Like, they don't throw the ball that effectively there, period. I just don't – like, again, like, I don't have a problem with these selections late in the game because you're just – you're trying to – You're it's lottery tickets, right? You're trying to get as many prospects as you can, evaluate as many as possible, and then you try to make decisions from there based off your experience and your talent on your coaching staff. So I'm okay with the selection – but I take so many other quarterbacks over Nate Stanley, and they had so I mean, many Anthony Gordon was not picked, so they picked him over Anthony Gordon for one. I know that. I don't love that. I mean, Anthony Gordon at least has, like, incredible zip on his fastball. Nate Stanley does not have even that. He's a good decision maker. Stanley's not mobile. Sees, uh, sees the field well. I mean, I don't never, know. never completed more than 60% passes in his in a season at Iowa. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, like you said, drafting quarterbacks never a bad idea. Um Unless you're the Packers, you can trade up four spots to draft Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> you had to slip it in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, had to get that in there at some point, but it's fine. You know, I, I'm with you. I don't anticipate him making the roster right now, but eh, we'll see. And, and just to be fair here, when you draft 15 guys, I mean, what? Probably seven of them aren't going to make the roster. It's just inherently, right? If not more. I mean, the practice squad is going to be loaded, but. Mm-hmm. The, the, this is not the best a 50- practice squad in the league, man. Seriously, though. Yeah, straight up. Uh, but 53-man roster, I don't think it's got Nate Stanley's name on it. I hope he proves me wrong because I hate Sean Mannion, and you guys know that. So let's move forward. Uh, he gets a C from CBS. Uh, safety Brian Cole from Mississippi State is the next one on your board. Okay, not necessarily an athletic specimen, but some of the things that I really, really like from Brian Cole specifically. Incredible leadership qualities. I know that you guys are tired of hearing about that, but like that type of thing, like that translates well to the NFL because it means that he can handle the grind. It means that he'll be in the weight room when he needs to be in the weight room. It means that he's going to be learning the playbook and that he's going to be helping people that don't understand the playbook. Those types of things are good. 
You want to have that, and if you're going to take a flyer on someone in the seventh round, you take those intangible traits all day long. And he comes from Mississippi State as well, an SEC program. He played against pro-caliber players entirely. Played career. with Cameron Dantzler. He did that too. So a lot of there's a lot of good things, a lot of things to like about this player. It's just, again, when you get this deep in the draft, you're probably not getting a starter. But you might have a special team stud here, and you might have a good role player right. depending on what happens at safety. Yeah, I mean, he ran a forty-five two forty. Um, he played a little bit of like the a little bit of like the Tyron Matthew role at Mississippi State, where like he would play like that linebacker hybrid safety, right. like you know, all over the field type of thing. So that could be fun in the long run if he turns out. Um, I, I like this as safety depth a little bit more than Metellus, but um, I do too. Honestly, I think he's so, got a better shot too to make the team. Yeah, I think so too. I, I that's fine with me. You know, that's I don't know a ton about Brian Cole, but little I know and a little bit I've read, I, you know, I think that's a little bit better uh, for depth than Metellus. But you know, again, we're just a couple of dudes with laptops, <laughs> and it's April twenty eighth. So, <laughs> just for your reference here, Brian Cole is only a one year starter at Mississippi State, and he actually transferred from Josh Metellus's Michigan. So. Oh. Maybe there's – do you think that there's there's probably a rivalry there to some degree, I imagine? Uh, I like it, though. You know, I do. That's the good. the competition a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Make, take up the heat a little bit in training camp. That'll be fun. So what makes this kind of fun here, uh, he is a versatile safety as well. He's a box safety and also a guy who can line up and you know go get it in coverage as well. So uh, that's Brian Cole for you. He gets a B-plus grade from CBS. And the final pick of this draft for the Minnesota Vikings is offensive lineman out of Washburn, Kyle Hinton. And so for me, this just, again, (laughs) this is another player like Brandle who has a lot of versatility on a bunch of different offensive line positions, specifically the interior, I believe, what's what makes a little bit more sense for him in the pros. Right. Well, he's 6'2", not even 300 pounds. You can't play tackle at that that size. So he's going to be a guard or a center. He's going to have to be inside. He's going to have to gain weight, too. Um, But... Yeah, just another project that uh, might turn into something. Probably won't, but we'll root for him to turn into something. Probably as a guard or maybe even a center in the NFL. Absolutely. And given the kind of the situation the Vikings have at guard right now, I mean Drew Samia and Pat Alflein are your starters as it stands today, right? Uh, I'm yeah. cool. I'm cool with drafting a little bit of versatility there. Okay. Uh, so overall. That is your full analysis of well, not full analysis, but that was pretty pretty quality analysis and some fun, right? For fifteen picks, um, overall, how did the Vikings do in this draft? What is your final takeaway? Um, they did really well. I think they definitely addressed needs that needed to be addressed. Um, took some flyers on guys that were worth taking a flyer on mm-hmm. in the later rounds, I think, and then you know I. I think there may have been missed opportunities in terms of trading up for like a CD lamb or Jerry Judy when they started to fall. Um, you know, and then again, I, I like Josh Jones at tackle instead of Cleveland there in the second round, but uh, you know, it's mostly nitpicking at that point. So, um, you know, I, and I like the more, I think about your point about the fact that you're drafting 15 picks in this off season, where you're not going to be able to see these guys. And a lot of these, they haven't even met face to face before with a lot of these players. Uh, so, I'm gonna if I'm gonna give a grade, it's gonna be like an A minus, and I think it's a lot of it's just because of the fact that he kept trading down, trading down, did not trade up, did not go get his guy, or was not. I think he was aggressive, but he didn't get that trade done to move up. Um, that's they, there was rumors about the whole week, 
but you know, it's you get 15 picks. They had 17. They got value coming into next year as well. Um, overall, needs were addressed. The team's a lot better now uh, than you know it was a week ago. I would definitely agree with that. Um, I'm going to give it an A minus as well, just overall. Um, and re- and really, it's for the same reasons that you just said. There's you get a you got your two, three, four potential starters. You got two, three, four potential special teams players, and somewhere in between, you got a bunch of guys who are boomer bust type draft picks. Guys where they have very high potential and very, very low floors, mm-hmm. and that's what you want when you're drafting 15 players. If you draft 15 guys, chances are three or four are going to work out well. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's I mean, on the low end of that spectrum, right? That's, and working out well for what it's worth means like serviceable starter for like. A year or two or multiple years right? right like like we're not talking like 2015 when kendricks and Stefan diggs and deal hunter all turn out to be superstars that's just that's that's unprecedented but right. um the vikings are able to get you know one or two pro bowl caliber players out of this draft um that'd be us that'd be sweet and then you get a bunch of guys that can contribute as starters that's that would be ideal so absolutely and they uh, also overall it's it's pretty solid to me for what it's worth, dude, they also picked up a couple guys that I like in undrafted free agency. Courtney Davis. Courtney Davis, yeah, that's a big name. Wide receiver, receiver. from Texas A&M. He gets a hundred grand guaranteed, which is that's pretty cool. <laughs> just by the way, just well, get... I, I think I, I saw there was I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying something about how the system's interesting because there's a bidding war that starts for these undrafted free agents, and these guys end up getting more money mm-hmm. guaranteed than they would if they were drafted, which right. is. I suppose that's the, you know, the way it works in the bidding war, you know. Right, right. Uh, but overall, yeah, this is a great draft for the Vikings. They did everything that they set out to do. You know, when we were doing our simulations and we said these are our parameters, this is what we want, the Vikings did everything that I wanted them to do as a fan, as a you know, half-assed analyst, whatever I am. They did everything that you could have asked for, straight up. Like, what more could you have wanted – other than to mortgage the future by trading up. I know some of you are screaming Tyler Johnson right now, and I don't care. Yeah. I just don't yeah. care. I don't I don't care. I, I like Tyler Johnson. I like the U of M, but I'm not married to the Golden Gophers, and I just don't care. I hope he has a great career in Tampa Bay. I would have liked to see him in purple and gold. But straight up, like he he's not – like some of you thought he was going to be a first-round pick. Like give me a break. Like, let's just come on. He's, well, he, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> – it would have been nice to see them pick him over KJ Osborne for sure, or like but, move up once because they have they had twenty five seventh rounders. Which is not move, move back. Views. Yeah, but, but yeah, you know that would have been sweet. But that's more of the the fanfare, like you know, that's just it, it's it's always wishful thinking, right? Like I had the same thing with Ben Barge, right? Like would have been I, awesome, yeah. It would have been sweet, you know, and then he was sniped right before the Vikings had their one seventeenth pick, I believe. Um, Jaguars took him one pick before. Now, were they going to pick Ben Barch? The Vikings probably not. But like, it's it's fun to think about that. There's 32 teams in the league. You know, you got a one in 32 chance of Tyler Johnson being picked by the Vikings. And apparently, you've got a 100 percent chance of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafting every Gopher that matters. So, yeah. Um, just another reason to watch Tampa. The Bay Packers next drafted year. a Gopher that didn't matter. Did they? Shocker. That uh, the linebacker Quell Martin, I think his name, or Kamal, Kamal, but something like that. Um, <laughs> something i don't know I don't it, know. it doesn't it, matter what the package i just know did. it got, didn't get great reviews their, their entire draft didn't get great reviews and i just keep i want to keep saying that because it's funny should we spend a couple minutes here just 
blowing up the Packers because well, this is I, one of the... I want to roast Packers and then I want to roast the Bears for drafting another tight end because let's... they need they now have they literally have ten now like let's... that's not a that's not a joke it's not an exaggeration they have ten <laughs> tight ends on the roster so let's do Their that tight ends not hang out and follow social distancing <laughs> together let's <laughs> they couldn't all be in a nice I like that um, let's do a little overtime then here get a little bit more than 60 minutes let's talk about the Packers draft real quick Jordan Love the quarterback comes off the board first and it's running back AJ Dillon tight end Josiah DeGuara from Cincinnati linebacker Kamal Martin offensive lineman John Runyon center Jake Hansen offensive tackle Simon Spetniak safety Vernon Scott and edge rusher Jonathan Garvin that's your class for the Packers this is the worst draft class I've ever seen. <laughs> it's not even about the the players. Like, it doesn't make any sense. About, it's just about the Green Bay Packers receivers. Besides Devontae Adams, none of them should be on a roster, right? Uh, they're all practice squad caliber players, and the Packers enter the draft here with you know this draft is the best wide receiver class maybe ever. And it is. By yeah, I don't know if I don't know how much else. how much Packer media, Packers, uh, bloggers, the the whatever Twitter sphere if you follow. But every mock draft I saw from a Packers person had one, two, maybe three receivers picked in this draft. <laughs> right. And there was a couple of them who did like the joke where they exaggerated it out and drafted oh, yeah, like nineteen every time. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, this is what the Packers need to do. Like ha ha ha. But like I'm not that. I'm kind of joking here. They but might like also serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they right. drafted zero, zero receivers in this draft. Talent all over the place in this draft class. Tyler Johnson would have been their immediate number two option. They drafted none. Instead, they drafted a backup quarterback for Aaron Rodgers, who has been adamant about the fact that he wants to play in Green Bay for five more years. So that's right. a pick that, if all things go well in Green Bay, will be completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Then they have a running back who is a poor man to Derrick Henry, who is tall, big, strong. For what uh, it's worth, A.J. Dillon, talented he's a strong player. Runner. Very Good strong player. runner. Absolutely, absolutely. Not a lot of value in the passing game. Uh, plus, you have a stud in Aaron Jones. You have Jamal Williams, who already played way too much and took way too much of Aaron Jones' snaps. Now you get a third running back. How? Where's? What's the fit there? No idea. Then this tight end that they draft on, I think Cincinnati. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say his name. Josiah something. Yeah. Uh, they said they wanted to use him like Kyle Juszczyk. They wanted to use him as a fullback. So for Aaron Rodgers, they drafted him his backup. They got him some competition. They drafted a running back who does not do anything in the pass game. In the second round, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they drafted a tight end who is going to be a fullback for them. That is the weapons that they added for Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, he's going to be throwing to Geronimo Allison and Mar- Marquise Valdez-Scantling. And I couldn't even tell you who their tight end is right now. Is it Mercedes Lewis? Is he their number one? He can't be their number one. There's somebody else there. But uh, So, yeah. Jimmy and Mercedes Lewis is the, number, is the only first-round pick Aaron Rodgers has ever thrown a touchdown to. Mercedes Lewis. He's thrown it one time to Mercedes Lewis. No other first-round picks. That receiving class, or the Packers should not have been 13-3 last year. Everybody knows that. I think they know it because they're drafting for the future. They're drafting their quarterback. That's the only reasonable explanation for this, right? That's they, the they know they're it. They know they're, they're not that good. They know they're not that good. They, that's the only explanation for this. And they're they're planning for when Rodgers is done. They are preparing themselves to stay competitive when Rodgers is done. They're not even trying to win with Rodgers anymore. They're just not. That's the only explanation for this. I would be furious if I was a Packers fan. 
just and the best absolutely. Part been, you know, I, I have I know a couple Packers fans. I know, uh, you know, I've been interacting with like Zach Jacobson on Twitter. Love right. that guy, right? And it, it's the the mental gymnastics they're going through to talk themselves. Pete into Bukowski this on Twitter. If you follow Pete Bukowski, he is yeah. a great hate follow. If you're a Vikings fan, by the way, it's just like the mental gymnastics to go through to convince themselves that this is the right plan, that all oh, the Packers have this plan where they're going to go back to old school football with AJ Dillon. They're going to run the ball. They got their quarterback set for the future for the next 20 years. This is going to be the next Rogers, you know, where they have that perfect transition. Like, and maybe that does work out, but this is so much different than what it was in 05 when, okay, far was going to retire any moment. Right. Right. And Rogers was the, the number one prospect and he fell to 24. Right. Jordan Love was a second round prospect. And he had a, if that, an atrocious, if that. atrocious 2019 season, and they drafted him in the first round. They traded up against nobody, right? They heard rumors the Colts were going to trade up, <laughs> and the Colts didn't call the Dolphins. So the Packers bid against themselves, and they won. The only thing they won the whole weekend was bidding against themselves for Jordan Love. It's great. I, I'm glad we got to talk about that. That's all I wanted to get off my chest. Oh, that was um, great. That was that was worth sticking around for overtime. That was very I'm, fun. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy about what the Packers did this weekend. I want to hear. I want to hear someone justify it like without like sadness in their voice. You know, like <laughs> I just don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like any of. The, I, I like AJ Dillon as a prospect. I never would See, like him. I, in the I will round. admit the pe- the Packers fans that I know are like they're sad, but like they're disappointed, right? They keep saying they're disappointed. They're sad, like they wouldn't. That's not what they would do. But they're like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know, quarterbacks never a bad position to draft, and I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this A.J. Dillon guy, very productive in college. So, but it's just, there's just so many other needs that they could have addressed with the first three picks, specifically in that draft. And instead they chose to pick a backup quarterback who, in the ideal world, won't even play for the Packers because their better guy will play for five more years. Running back who can't contribute in the passing game, and they already have two guys probably better than him, and a fullback. So, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. It, it. When you when when the Lions are definitively drafting better than you, like oh, there's no close. contest. It wasn't even close. The Lions are the only team in this division that gave, a, like, even the Vikings a run for their money. And it's only because they got the best cornerback pr- prospect, like, period. The Lions, to win the North in 2020, 2021, is not a bad bet right now. No, it's you like not. Eight, you got ten to one. You got whatever the future is. Like, it's not a bad bet. The Packers are going to completely—they're going to fall back to five hundred or so. Uh, the Bears are still the Bears, and they don't need fifty thousand tight ends. No, they don't. Are the Vikings going to win ten games? Maybe not. I mean, the Lions might be a sneaky pick there. They drafted well. They address needs. Even they got rid of Darius Slay. They immediately filled a guy that might be better than him, Jeff and Okuda. So. And they got uh, Jay Sean Cornell from my high school, by the way. He ended up getting drafted. I was excited about that. That was nice oh, to yeah. see. So <laughs> there's your quick analysis of the rest of the NFC North. I mean, just straight up, like, I, I know that this is a Vikings fan podcast, and I know that even, no- like, regardless of how hard Drew and I try to be 100% objective about everything we say, there's going to be some bias in there, especially towards a team like the Packers, who you just inherently, not necessarily dislike, but you're inherently rooting against. But straight up, like, there's no justification for any of this. 
There isn't. Like, I can look at the Lions draft, and it makes sense. I don't like that they drafted a running back at 35, but at least they drafted DeAndre Swift, you know? Like, they drafted the best running back in the class, you know? And I just don't... It's... Like, I want to I want to say, well, the Lions drafted a running back in the second round, so that's not great. But the Packers did the same thing, and they drafted a guy that can't do anything in the pass game. And, yeah, I, it, you could look around look around everywhere on NFL media, and you look at all the draft grades. You know, every single website's done it, right? Every single website you can think of, even right. the ones that get four clicks. You get your draft grades on there. Right. And every single one has the Packers 32nd ranked in the league. Uh, I think I, – I can't remember who I, follow, or who I saw on Twitter from, but basically he compiled – and average the rankings of like 15 experts put them in on the gave like the gpa of every team right right right. and i think it was the third the packers were 32nd with a 1.3 gpa and i think it was like the next worst was like 2.18 or something right so like it's not like they're definitively the worst draft class and it's like like you know not even close to the 31st uh ranked draft class so and people are going to say well draft draft grades don't matter this this and that and that's true i mean you know what Right. What we say now does not matter in five months. It doesn't matter in two years. But from what we know about what positions matter, what the Packers needed, uh, you know, the fact that running backs are slowly, slowly becoming like more replaceable. Right. Uh, fullbacks are not a thing anymore. We know Aaron Rodgers wants to play five more years. Those first three picks make absolutely no sense to me. Period. And that's a, I think that's a great place to leave off here. So thank you for listening to this marathon of a show. Um, Appreciate that as always. You can, I know that climbing the pocket, our squad there, um, they're producing a ton of post draft content. So make sure to check out the website there. Uh, both their YouTube too. They're doing a lot of YouTube stuff. Yes, make, for sure. Check out the YouTube and check us out on YouTube as well if you prefer to watch as opposed to listen. Just an idea. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify as well. Uh, megaphone. I don't know. Where do you listen to your podcast? Just tell me where you listen to your podcast, and so I can tell you where we are located. How about that? Uh, you can find us on Daily Norseman as well, as always. Uh, leave a comment in the comment section on what you thought about the draft. I love reading those. And next week uh, we will shift our focus here to the rest of the uh, the NFL offseason as it pertains to your Minnesota Vikings. So um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, great draft for the Vikings. Uh, really enjoyable show to do um, and uh, we will catch you guys next week